our point of view The things that we say The trouble it makes It hurts you and it hurts me too This is such a fall of where we live in It's really not the way it's supposed to be What if we could see each other different It'd probably change everything We're all broken people Every moment of our lives 24, 3, 6, 5 Our human is equal Don't we all have our weakness? Everybody makes mistakes Everybody needs that grace We all need Jesus
Hello, everybody. Welcome to church. I'm Steve. If you would, go ahead and stand. We want to give glory and honor to God in this place. He's given us this brand new name. He's our story. Everything that's pretty awesome about him, he's given to us. Let's make sure we worship him with everything we got. I was walking the way time. Love was on a lonely road. I was chasing the high line, trying to satisfy my soul. All the lies I believe in, left me crying like the rain. Then I saw lightning from heaven, and I never felt the same. I'm gonna climb. I'm gonna shine. 
Amen. Aren't you glad you're a child of love? Have a seat. We're glad to see you this morning. I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad you took time to come and join us for worship today. Uh, my name is John Sutton. For those who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm one of the ministers here. And if you're a guest with us today, we're thrilled that you took time to come and be a part of our worship. You could, you could have been a lot of other places today, but instead you chose to come and be here. And for that, we are indeed grateful. Uh, the, in front of you there, maybe on the chair back in front of you, you might see a Connect card, especially if you're a first-time guest with us. We'd love for you to fill that out for us if you would. We just want to be able to follow up with you, provide you some information about our church and the ministries that are taking place here. So if you don't mind just giving us your name, maybe your cell phone number and email address, you can drop those in the offering boxes a little later in the service, or you can drop those off at the Welcome Center on your way out this morning. We sure would appreciate that. Hey, a few things that I want to make you aware of that we've got coming up here at Capital City. Uh, don't forget that we still have our July nudge going on, which is the the idea that we're buying new shoes to give to kids here in our community as school starts. Uh, the uh, Turning Bare Feet into Learning Feet event is Saturday, July 29th. And so we're collecting new shoes to be able to donate. Last year they gave out over 300 pairs of shoes to kids in our community. And so if you could help us out with that, we sure would appreciate it. You can just bring those in next Sunday with you. Actually, next Sunday is Christmas in July, so what better day to give a gift than next Sunday? So do that. Or you can drop them off one day during the week here at the office. We'd be glad to take those. Uh, or if you want to make a donation, you can just drop that in the generous bucket, and we'll go out and purchase some shoes uh, for the kids in the next couple of weeks. I also want to let you know next Saturday morning, uh, we're going to be having a half-day spiritual retreat that takes place at Cove Spring Park. Uh, Doc will be leading this. This is one of these that he's done over the past few summers. And so a great opportunity to, uh, just, to just get away uh, in God's creation, uh, experience some time with him. It's, it's sort of a self-guided, but Doc will provide you some direction throughout the morning. And so it's down at Coast Spring Park. They meet there at the lower picnic area, I believe, pavilion area. You can go to capcity.info to sign up. If you sign up, that just helps us make sure we've got enough materials. Uh, but you can also just show up that morning. We'd love to see you come down and participate with us in that next Saturday, the 22nd, from 9 to 12. And then also we've got one of our big events of the year coming up. This is an event that we've done for, gosh, I can't remember how many years now, but it's our Jesus Prom event that's coming up on August the 11th. And uh, throughout the course of the year, you hear us talk about these all-hands-on-deck events. And that, that's where we need all of our church family to come out and help, help us pull this event off. We're expecting somewhere between 125 to 175 uh, guests from our community to come be a part of that. And this year, we need your help as a safari guide. This year's theme is Jungle Safari, and so we're looking for safari guides. This is where we pair you up with one of our guests that will be coming that night, and you just sort of help them get around the get around the facility. There'll be a game room across the hall. There'll be snacks out in the lobby. There'll be dancing and all kinds of fun taking place here in uh, the worship center. It's from 6.30 to 8 on Friday night, August the 11th. Hopefully when you came in, you might have seen a card that looks like this in the chair, okay? And so if you don't mind, if you can help us out, if you don't mind right now, grab a pencil, grab a pen, fill that card out, okay? And then a little later in the service, when we come to our time of communion, you can just drop those off at the table. You can put them in the offering box, or you can drop those off at the Welcome Center on your way out. Or you can also go to capcity.info. You can sign up electronically, so pull your phone out if you want to go ahead and do that right now. But, you know, we want you to get all that stuff out of the way before Doc gets up here. What I'm talking about really doesn't matter that much. But if you could help us out with that, we sure would appreciate it. Again, we're looking for safari guides uh, for that event, and we could really use your help. Now, let me, let me get us going here this morning. So how many of you remember uh, your parents telling you no and you not listening to them? Anybody? 
Huh? I mean, we, we, we've seen it. I was telling them uh, this morning. We see it now. You know, I've, I've got a uh, 14 and a half month old grandson, which is just crazy for me to think that I'm that old to have a grandson, but I do. And even now, when we say no, Carter, he goes, no, 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 no. And, she, you know, I'm not sure who he's seen wag his finger at him, you know, because it's not Papa. Papa's like, here, buddy, let's go. We get right into it, but 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 I got to, I want to get you to think about that now. When when you know when maybe your parents told you no and you didn't listen, what was it that made you not listen? Was it because because whatever they told you no to was something that you really wanted? Uh, was it something that you thought you needed, or was it you know what they told me no, but I'm going to do it anyway kind of thing? You know we've seen that struggle going on throughout all of history, haven't we? You know, from the very beginning of time, God said, anything you want, but. And there she was that day. And Satan came along and said, did God really say? And then she looked at the tree. And the, and the, and the Bible tells us that she saw it, and it was pleasing to the eye and good to eat. Now, we don't know what that fruit looked like, but, but knowing what you know of fruit today, if that fruit looked like that, is that something you would want to eat? Now, I know sometimes we cut these up and stick them in the mouths of our grandkids. If you've done that, you give your, give your grandchild or your child a slice of it. But I'm not a huge lemon fan, not, not a big flavor uh, person for me. Or what, what if it looked like that? Avocado. I don't even know who classifies this as a fruit. This has to be one of the slimiest, nastiest things that I have ever seen. I mean, just, anybody like avocados? Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with you people? Holy cow. I mean, that is one of the grossest. I can't even believe they classify it as a fruit. It's almost to me like strawberries. My wife loves strawberries. I mean, they, they're not, strawberries are not fruits. They're not sweet enough to be a fruit. It just doesn't work that way. What about this? What if it looked like that? I, be, <laughs> I picked that. Anybody know what that is? Well, they call it, uh, Walmart, they call them cactus pears. Anybody ever seen a cactus pear? I'm like, that just, to me, did not look appealing. I showed it to my wife. She said, look, it's rotten on the end. I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not sure, but that, that right there just, you know. But most of the time, we think that the, the fruit might have been, but see, even Granny Smith apples. They're tart. They're not sweet. They're not fruit. They're just nasty. So then maybe, ah, now that there is a little more pleasing to the eye, isn't it? Would that be enough to make you go, hmm, I'll take a bite of that. I'll do something that I know I'm not supposed to. But, but maybe that right there is not even appealing enough for you. But what if it were... Now we're talking. If that's hanging from a tree, oh yeah. Ah. Sometimes we get tempted by things that look good, but really aren't good, don't we? Sometimes we fall. We fall to those kinds of things. Because we think we need them, or because, well, it's not really that bad. You know, I'm I'm grateful that from the very beginning God showed grace. Aren't you? He could have just been done with it from right there. But no. He said, oh, it's okay. I'll make a way for you. And because of that, we have a new name because of the grace that he has shown to us. And it started with Adam and Eve, something that Doc's going to dig deeper into this morning. Let's stand and sing. Let's worship that we have a new name because of the grace he's given us.
tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am. Thank you so much for never giving on us, giving up on us. Thank you so much for giving us your grace. Thank you for even though we know how bad we have been, you keep calling us good because you're the one that makes us good. You see Jesus Christ in each of us. So we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat?
Genesis goes on to say, the Lord God says to this serpent, the one who tempted in the first place, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. 
And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God, we believe in your gospel. We believe that there is a good news that came because of Jesus Christ and he's the one that has changed our story. We thank you for your grace. We give you every, everything that we can. We turn back this to praise. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. morning. It's kind of a gripping song to me. Here's the deal, guys. As long as you trivialize sin, you will also trivialize grace. You get that? I did it for decades. I, I knew I sinned some, but most people around me sinned worse, I thought. So I was never really dazzled by grace. Didn't think I needed that much. Because as long as I trivialize sin, as long as I refuse to acknowledge sin's power over me, grace is cool, but that's it. So have you ever been dazzled, overwhelmed, undone, even broken by grace? Now, have you ever heard someone ask the question, or maybe have you ever wondered yourself, why does a good God allows so much evil in the world. I mean, if God is so good and God is so powerful, why doesn't he do a little more smiting, right? Why didn't he stop those who use and abuse and demean people? Why doesn't he stop those who are cutting and cruel? If God is so powerful and so good, why doesn't he just root out sin? But have you ever noticed that whenever people ask that question, they're always talking about someone else's sin? Maybe we should flip the question around. If God is so good and God is so powerful, why does he tolerate you in this world of his? How many of his kids have you hurt, marginalized, demeaned, used, abused, mocked, ridiculed, or gossiped about? Why does he allow you in this world of his? Why does he allow me, tolerate me in this world of his? Because we're kind of dulled to our own depravity aren't we, most of the time. Now, one of my heroes is a, is a Jewish rabbi by the name of Abraham Heschel, one of the finest Bible scholars of the 20th century. Some of the stuff that he wrote on the passions of God have profoundly influenced my understanding of God. His mother was murdered by the Nazis. Two sisters died in Nazi concentration camps. He escaped to London, then to the U.S., he knew what terrible evil looked like. In fact, one time he wrote, if I would go back to Poland or Germany, every stone, every tree would remind me of the contempt, the hatred, the murder of children killed, of mothers burned alive, of human beings asphyxiated. He knew what terrible evil looked like. But interestingly enough, it wasn't just the big sins that tore at him. He wrote books on the prophets of the Old Testament, powerful books, and he said they were so sens sensitive to sins that we just blow off. We see a lot of sin as just kind of little, petty, trivial, inconsequential. They saw the littlest sins as scandalous, outrageous, appalling. There are no white lies to a prophet. 
Orphans and widows are being neglected. To us, that's sad. To them, it was intolerable. Richer, marginalizing the poor. To us, that's annoying. To them, God's furious. Justice system isn't always fair. No kidding, we yawn. They ranted about the judgment of God. People worship whatever God they want, however they want. We defend their rights. The prophets raged about the blasphemy of it all. We see greed around us, one man sticking another on a deal, and we kind of wish we were so lucky. They viewed it as almost deserving of hell. We see pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth in ourselves. And we kind of yawn. Go figure. Now, is it that the prophets were kind of hypersensitive to evil? Or is it that we are dull to it? And if we're dull to sin, how could we ever be amazed by grace? Maybe the prophet simply had a gift of looking at the world through God's eyes. Maybe we need to try to look at the world and even ourselves through God's eyes. Now, I think most of you would have viewed my wife Julie and I as rather stern disciplinarians as parents. When our kids were little, when one of them turned something into a battle of the wills, and kids do that, right? We wouldn't lose. Pick up your toys. They might respond, no they'd pick up their toys. Don't you dare drop that French fry on the floor. And they'd look at us, and if that French fry hit the floor, there'd be a spanking. Come here. If they didn't come, there'd be a spanking. We'd set them down, and we'd tell them again, come here. Because it wasn't about the toys or the French fries on the floor. It wasn't about their coming here. It was about their, you're not the boss of me. Their rebellion. Did you know that sin is at its heart? You're not the boss of me, God. It's an act of rebellion. It's an idolatry of the self. In fact, I used to explain it like this. Sometimes sin is kind of like telling God, you're just stupid on this one. God, I know what I want better than you do. I know what's best for me better than you do. I get to choose what's right for me, God. When my daughter, Alethea, was teaching at the Christian Academy, she used to explain it like this. She said, sin is kind of like telling God, F you, God, I'll do what I want. Which may explain why she's not teaching at the Christian Academy anymore. (laughs) Did you know that we nearly always underestimate the gravity of our sin and the consequences of our sin? unintended consequences. We rarely see the trust that we corrupt, the people that we wound, the sin that we provoke. Did you know that my sin always corrupts my relationship with God? It always corrupts my relationships with the people around me, and it even affects my stewardship of the world that God has instructed me to tend. Yours too. Your sin always corrupts your relationship with God. It always corrupts your relationships with the people that you do life with, and it even affects your stewardship of this world that God has instructed you to tend. And if we're dulled to the gravity of sin, how could we ever be captivated by grace? The problem is we're dulled. Because we live in a world in which sin is not only tolerated, sometimes it's celebrated. 
And we're good ourselves at justifying sin, rationalizing sin, blaming someone else for our sin. And often when we do call sin, sin, so often we magnify the sin of others and we minimize our own. You get that? You do that? And guys, if we don't recognize the depravity of our sin and the corruption it causes, how can we ever be dazzled by grace? Which I think is why it took me over 40 years to be dazzled by grace, even though I was a Jesus follower for most of those years. Because I didn't think I needed much of it. How about you? So this morning we're going to dive into one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you probably know something about the story of Adam and Eve. You probably know something about the story of their fall, you know, when they ate from the apple or whatever it was and got kicked out of the garden. By the way, you need a couple jokes. Here's a joke for you. Ready? You know why Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage? Because he didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married and she didn't have to hear about the food his mom made. That's not too bad. One more. What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. I know it's a sick joke, but you're going to tell it, aren't you? You're going to retell it. I know it. So we've been tracing this trail of grace through the Old Testament because a lot of people still don't think that grace showed up till Jesus. But the Old Testament just drips with grace if you look for it. And this story of the fall drips with grace. Have you ever seen it? And it's not just the story of some Adam and Eve back then. To tell you the truth, this story of the fall is my story. It's your story. A story of the gravity of our sin and the immensity of God's grace. So here goes. Last week, Ben talked about the creation story. It's an amazing grace story. I'm going to pick it up at the garden, the Garden of Eden, whatever that means. Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees, a multiplicity of them grow up from the ground, trees that are beautiful, produce delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, two special trees, a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then a couple verses later it says the Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But God warned him, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden, all of them, multiplicity of them, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that you eat its fruit, you're going to die. Two trees. A tree of life, and they could eat from that one. Maybe, maybe that one kind of symbolized life as it was meant to be. Life as it was meant to be lived. Life with God, for God, God's way. I don't think that one bite from this tree meant that you had eternal life. I think it was more like as long as you're eating from this tree, you're doing life with God, God's way. The life that was meant to be, good life. That was the yes tree. And then there was the no tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, if you eat from that tree, you die. So they're surrounded by this profusion of trees from which they're permitted to eat, including one that's extra special. And yet they fixated on the other one, the one tree forbidden to them. We get that. 
because we're all like that. All sorts of things that God permits us to do that are God-honoring, and we fixate on the few that are not because we're kind of boogers too, right? So there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's kind of like it's staked off all these warning signs, danger. Don't you dare eat of this one. But for some reason, God plants it in the middle of the garden where it could not be ignored. Why would he do that? If it's so dangerous, why not put it on the outer edge somewhere? Well, why not plant it outside the garden completely? Why plant it at all? Kind of sounds like God is setting them up, right? Like putting chocolate right in front of your kids and daring them not to touch it. Why would God put something in front of us that would tempt us to fall right there? Now, what's wrong with knowing good and evil? Why wouldn't God want us to eat from a tree that gave us a knowledge of good and evil? What's it stand for? I think there may be a clue in the next chapter. Chapter 3, the serpent tells Eve, you're not going to die if you eat it. God's yanking your chain. For God knows that when you eat from that tree, the serpent says, your eyes are going to be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Ah. So maybe it represents more than we might think it means. Like if you eat from it, you can be like God. I know most people think Adam and Eve had no notion of good and evil till they ate of the apple. I think that's absurd. How could God punish them for doing something wrong when they had no idea that it was wrong? That would make God a monster. And I know there are some people who kind of think that the knowledge of good and evil is a metaphor for omniscience, knowing everything, kind of like God. In fact, I used to think that. I doubt it now. I don't think ever God offered us omniscience, omnipotence, any of that. And others kind of think this represents more of a declaration of independence from God. Maybe what it was is a, a rejection of God's authority to decide what's right and wrong for me. I will choose what's right for me, God, and I will choose what's wrong for me. I'll be my own God, God. I think that's getting close. And I know some people focus on the word to know because in the Hebrew, sometimes to know meant to experience more than just intellectual. In the old King James Bible, you could read about a man knowing a woman. It didn't mean knowing her name. So maybe the tree represents our desire to experience evil as well as good. I want to experience what God calls good, but I want to experience what God calls evil too. We get that. But if that's so, why did God put the tree in the garden in the first place? Why is that tree of the knowledge of good and evil there at all? Well, maybe because freedom to choose is necessary for a relationship that means anything. There had to be freedom to choose. You have to be free to choose. My yes to God only matters if I have the ability to say no to God. Do you get that? God didn't make us robots. He loves us for some crazy reason. He wants us to love him back, which means that God values your freedom more than he values your obedience. Because without freedom, there's no love. Anyway... Kind of like Adam and Eve, fix 
fixated on the one thing that's forbidden to them, kind of like we do. And eventually they succumbed. They chose against God. It wasn't just eating some forbidden fruit. It was an act of rebellion. It was a declaration of independence from God. It was their decision to choose their own way, their own right and wrong. And immediately all of their relationships were corrupted because sin always does that. They hid from God. They're scared of God now. They sniped at each other. And even their relationship to our world was scarred. We're going to get there. Watch what happens. Genesis 3, verse 7. At that moment, at the moment they ate the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened. And suddenly they felt shame. Shame at their nakedness. Did you know that there was no shame until there was sin? Hmm. And did you know that sin always should result in shame? When your sin doesn't shame you, you've got issues. And then it says, verse 8, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid. (laughs) They hid. This is so funny. You ever try hiding from God? You know how stupid that is? To try to hide from an omniscient, omnipresent God? This is about as stupid as trying to hide from God by avoiding church. But sin always makes you stupid. It impairs your judgment. And then they start blaming, the blame game. We're good at it. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me. She said, that's why I ate it. Not my fault, says Eve. It was a snake. Not my fault, says Adam. It was Eve. In fact, you gave her to me, God. It's really your fault, God. We've been blaming each other ever since, blaming God ever since. You made me this way, God. You allowed that accident to happen, God. You didn't take care of my problems, God, so I had to. We can be stupid twits. And God's responses just flat out dripped with grace. There are fingerprints of grace all over the story. I'm going to call them grace notes, grace notes. If you ever studied music, you might have heard of grace notes. There can be just a simple little tune. Listen. Sometimes a musician will add a grace note to spice it up a little. Did you hear the grace notes? Again. If you were to put this story of the fall to music, it would sparkle with all these grace notes. I'm going to show you. Start here. What if God didn't actually love Adam and Eve? What if God didn't value us? What would God have done? if God didn't care about us. I suppose he could have just walked away, just disappeared from this microscopically little, a tiny little corner of the grand universe and just let us go on our own pathetic little way, kind of like a cosmic let him eat cake. You see, the opposite of love is not wrath. The opposite of love is apathy. Or God could have just wiped us out and started over, Right? 
If I'm building something and it's terribly flawed, that's what I do, I take it apart and start over. I've done it many times. Hate it, but I do it. And our Creator had the right to uncreate us, didn't He? Well, why didn't He? In fact, the fact that you are still here sitting in this room is a grace note, isn't it? But God did none of the above. Our sin didn't cause God to disappear from our lives. Our sin didn't cause God to cause us to disappear. Our sin did not cause God to stop caring. Yours doesn't. Do you get that? And then God made the first move. He always does. Genesis 3.9. Right after Adam and Eve hid from God, it says, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Seriously? We're talking about God, the omniscient God, the omnipresent God, the God who's present everywhere. He knows where they are. But he plays along because the omnipotent God is incredibly gentle. Where are you? In other words, God came looking for us. In other words, even after we blew him off, God made the first move. He always does. Isn't that a grace note? God listens to Adam and Eve as they try to blame each other and as they try to blame him for their sin and then God starts laying out consequences. Because listen guys, how terrible would it be if there were no consequences to sin? How terrible would you be as a parent if there were no consequences for the misbehavior of your kids? You'd be raising monsters. So God says to the woman, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you're going to give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Huh. And to the man, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, this ground is cursed because of you. And all your life you're going to struggle to scratch a living from it. It's going to grow thorns and thistles for you, though you're going to eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. See, guys, grace does not eliminate the consequences of sin. That's one of our muddled ideas. God doesn't eliminate consequences. In fact, I believe that the consequences God attaches to our sin are actually grace notes. Because if there were no consequences to sin, sin would rampage unchecked. And we would destroy both ourselves and those we're supposed to love. Remember, guys, God had the right to snuff us out and start all over again. The very fact that he didn't shows how much he values every single one of us. And could you imagine what would happen if God had a zero-tolerance policy, even a three strikes and you're out? Every single one of us would be hosed. And then God made him clothes. See, they had tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, which probably makes the eyes of our petty people light up. Instead, Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Still loving on them. Still providing for them. And it also means this, something had to die for their sin. 
Something else had to give its life to cover their sin. Isn't that a grace note? In, in fact, what, what God did is kind of a precursor to the greatest gift of grace ever when God stepped into our world and died in our place to cover our sins. It's right there in the story of the fall. And then God kicked us out of the garden. Why do you suppose he did that? Why did he kick us out? He didn't kick us out of his life, but he kicked us out of his garden for a time. Maybe so we would no longer have access to that tree of life, I think. In fact, I suspect that that banishment from the garden is one of those grace notes. In fact, I suspect that maybe even physical death is a grace note. Can you imagine what it would be like if evil people never died? What damage they could do? Even those of us who try to be Jesus followers. I read about one old guy one time who reflected, I don't want to live forever the way that I am. I don't think I could stand myself that long. I think he's right. You see, eternal life is only desirable once we are stripped of our sin. Don't you think? Maybe death itself is both a punishment and a grace. And I skipped over the biggest grace note of all, and this one is so cool. Scholars actually call it the protevangelium. Where's the next slide, if you could, please? The protevangelium, the proto-gospel, the first gospel, the first hint to God's macro plan to fix our sin. You see, God cursed the serpent, too. He says to the serpent, who represents Satan, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You'll crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. He goes on. Next slide. And he will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, plural. But he, singular, will strike your head and you will strike his, singular, heel. Indicates that a second Adam is coming, sort of. The struggle is going to continue, God says, between Satan and his minions and the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But someday Satan is going to nip at the heel of a special one. And that special one is going to crush Satan's head with a cross. Grace personified. A grace that will one day enable us to re-enter a world where sin is no more and death is undone. You see, in the beginning, there was grace. But that was only the beginning. So what are you going to take home? What difference does all this stuff make? Well, for some of you guys, it ought to change your perception of God. Last week, Ben said that a whole lot of people... See, God is heavy on the rules and light on grace, which is literally absurd. 
the eternal, transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent, perfectly holy creator God literally exudes grace. It's over the top, profusion, an extravagance that we can barely imagine, much less deserve. And at such cost. You see, God's grace is it's free to us, but can you imagine the cost of grace to God? You see, whenever you give grace, it's kind of like you have to eat someone else's sin, which God did in Jesus on that cross. How much does God have to love you to go to the cross for you? And listen, if you're a Jesus follower, creating the image of God, this stuff ought to change you too. A different view of God changes me. It changes the way that I see the world. It changes the way that I see the people around me. It changes the way that I see me. Because as Jesus followers created in the image of God, we are called to be people of grace too. Towards people who will never quit struggling with their sins. Which means that we're going to have to eat some sin too, aren't we? We're not going to have to die for their sins. Jesus has already done that for all of us. But they need to see God's grace reflected in us. And this one's cool. I hope this story of the fall gives you a peek at eternity. See, God already had a plan in place to fix us, to restore us. And someday we will be completely fixed, completely restored by God. Can you imagine what it would be like to be finally purged of your sin? to do life with God, for God, God's way, forever. Because that's what eternity is supposed to be, I think. One more thing. Some of you guys have never been amazed by grace. I became a Christian at eight. I went to Bible college, seminary, grad school. I was a professor of New Testament, a preacher, and for decades I knew the word grace. I knew it in Greek, charis. I taught it. But I was never personally amazed by grace because I never understood the power and the depravity of my own sin. Do you understand what sin is and what it means? Do you really? Do you understand how much God loves you anyway? And do you get the lengths to which God went to get you back? I still struggle with grace for a way different reason because now it just simply blows my mind. It's almost too good to be true. Almost. But it's a game changer, guys. So let it change you. We're going to sing a song in a minute, and after that song, we're going to go to the Lord's table. This is a time when we're supposed to, just when we come here, you don't just listen to God's truth. You let God's truth change you. You let it get inside. If God's nudging you, don't push back. There may be some here who want to make Jesus the Lord of their life. That's where life starts. If you want to call Jesus your Lord during this next song or during the communion time, come on down. I'm going to sit right up front here and let's talk. It may be that you're just looking for a church home. God didn't make us to go it alone. You need a church family. If you want Capital City to be your family, I'm going to sit right down here, come up during this next song or during the Lord's Supper time and, and let's talk. Let's just get this thing done. Let's pray together. Father, for your grace, we give you thanks. Give us the wisdom and the courage to be amazed by your grace. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.
you're hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling have you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling to the altar, the Father's altar open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus The Father's arm 
such a treasure that we find in Jesus Christ, the one that is our Savior, who has given us the forgiveness that we so desperately seek. We know what it's like to be lost, and we know what it's like to need that grace. And so what we want to do is celebrate that when we go to the tables right now. If you want to take communion in these next few moments, you're going to go to these tables around this room and take some bread and some juice to be reminded of his blood and body that were sacrificed for you. If you want to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you after the service, too. If this place is your home and you want to give an offering, there are these boxes that are each of the stations as well. We do a very, very odd thing called the generous bucket as well. So if you have something outside of your offering that you decided to bring and the Spirit of God is kind of telling you, hey, I need to give a little bit more, that's what the white buckets are for as well. So would you guys go to the tables in just a few moments? One more time. Father, you are here. You made this promise to us. And so when we sing about your arms being open wide, it's not just something that we do because it's poetic. It's literally what you are doing. You're saying, come to me, come to me. And you sacrifice who you are so that I can make you something even greater. God, that is so tremendous and so amazing. That is your grace. So, Father, we want to make sure that that is what is on our hearts as we go to these tables today. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Let's go to the tables.
This is uh, Bill and Jill Costello. So it makes it easy to remember Bill and Jill. So, but they uh, they have uh, come today. They've been worshiping with us for for a few months now. Uh, relocated here from California, which has blew me away that they decided to come from California. But I know we've had some others who have done that recently. Live in live in the Owenton area, but have found a home here and want to be a part of our church family here at Capital City. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? So we're excited. So I'm going to ask you guys if you would just share that confession. It's the thing that binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you would just share that after me, okay? I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son, Son of the, the living God. God. And my Lord and Savior. And my, my Lord, Lord and, and Savior. Savior. Welcome to the family. We're glad to have you. So, I guess. So. Be sure you come up and introduce yourself to Bill and Jill following the service, okay? Let them know who you are. Welcome them to our family. But today's been a great day of worship. I hope that, uh, that as you leave here today, you leave different than when you came in because you have been touched by God's grace. And that's a grace that somebody in your life needs to be touched by as well. And I, I know God's going to put them in your path this week, and I hope that you will extend that grace to them. Introduce them to him. Let them know that he has a great love and a great passion for them as well. Hey, don't forget, next Sunday we continue in our summer staycation. It's Christmas in July next Sunday. Okay, we love Christmas in July. Uh, believe it or not, we are 23 weeks away from Christmas. Okay? And what better opportunity, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, search for you to, to celebrate Christmas in July by picking up a pair of shoes or two and bringing them with you next Sunday, okay? You guys have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next weekend. God bless you.